Hello there, welcome to the Phil Hay Show, collaboration podcast between The Athletic and The Square Ball. My name is Dan Moylan, with me from The Athletic and the guy with his name on the show, Phil Hay. Happy Boxing Day, everybody. Hello to you, Phil, and with me from The Square Ball, Michael Normanton. Hello. And Moscow White, I'm Daniel Chapman. Hello. Uh, how are we all then, uh, several thousand calories heavier? Yes, yeah, absolutely. Bit on a stone, at least. Uh, trying to stay awake during this Preston game, because we are recording just before the Preston game on Boxing Day. Yeah, Bielsa would be mothering us, I think, wouldn't he? Yeah. Skinful tests and weight tests. Terrible. Apoplectic. Yeah, yeah, bad state. Uh, 11 football podcasts out by The Athletic at the minute. This is one of them. If you want to listen to those, you can get it for free in the same place that you get this podcast. And if you want to read The Athletic itself, 40% off using the discount code LEADSPOD so you can catch up with all Phil's writing. So we are in that weird uh, area between Christmas and New Year where the games come thick and fast. Quick reflection, if we can, then on on the stuff that happened in London pre-Christmas, which feels like, admittedly, years ago, uh, and a defeat at Fulham, Phil. Yeah, what's going on in London? It's strange. We we noticed this before the game, that that there's a growing record down there of Leeds certainly failing to win games and, and... you know, dropping points at a fairly bizarre rate without any explanation, without much rhyme and reason. I had a chat with some supporters outside the ground beforehand on Saturday and they were all saying that they're very much aware of the fact that Leeds are struggling to win down in London, but they cannot explain why that is. I think it's two wins from 23 visits and it's it's fully two years now since they beat anybody down there. And, and as they were saying to me, it's not like you're talking about Arsenal and Spurs and, and Chelsea. It is QPR and Charlton and Millwall and, and OK, Leeds generally get nothing from Millwall as the as the records show and Fulham have been a very good team in the past two or three years although I don't think this Fulham team are, are anything like at the level that Jukanovic had them at, at at their peak but it just has that sort of odd feeling of, of inevitability when you, you go down there and it was it was a little bit like Cardiff in some respects it was a game that Leeds should definitely have taken more from um, and, and I think they knew that um, at the end of it I think unlike the Cardiff game though they're not a bad side to lose to Fulham they're, they're a good team um, they are capable they're, they're not in any way as, as fluent as they have been in the past but they do have players like Mitrovic they do have Ukrainians your, your Cavaleros and, and that was always going to be a 50-50 game that potentially Leeds were, were going to take nothing from but um, it's just that little that little thing of two games on the bounce now isn't it where could have had more points didn't have as many as they should have should have done gap just closing slightly below them um, and, and puts a little bit more pressure on what's coming up over Christmas It'll make today just a little bit nervier at Ellen Road against Preston you imagine Yeah I think it will be a little bit tense and again I would expect another really really close game we'll, we'll see how, how it goes but it, it does have that effect you just start to lose a bit of breathing space and particularly because we'll, we'll have other results in place before Leeds and Preston kick off tonight either the table is going to be looking healthy in terms of what goes on um, below Leeds or it's going to close up again and, and there are a couple of teams who are in, in very decent form so this is this is critical I mean building up to the, the New Year's Day game against West Brom which has got, got everything on it really um, and, and Birmingham away on Sunday just always that always feels like a difficult fixture and it is funny the way the, the fixtures have fallen this, this year because it, it's never simple over Christmas because of the quick turnaround but it does feel as if a bundle of hard games have, have dropped all at the same time I mean the ones to watch that you picked out from last week were Tom Kenny and he had a quite a quiet game really didn't he Tom Kenny yeah very it, it, I picked him out because so often when Leeds go down there it, he's the difference or he's the, the player that makes it happen for Fulham and, and actually it was quite revealing from, from the opposite perspective of how little he contributed to the game no shots on goal no key passes didn't particularly dominate the midfield um, if you compare his stats to, to Calvin Phillips Phillips who 
didn't have his best game by any stretch was was heavily involved right the way through constantly on the ball Kenny was a, a little bit in and out and and the game really uh, from from their point of view I think was was won by Mitrovic really he was the he was the player who was so difficult to manage I thought Ben White gave him a good run for his money actually because uh, he is a hard player to play against but but ultimately you, you see why Fulham pay a lot of money for him and, and you see why any any other team in the championship would quite happily have Mitrovic in the team but yeah Kenny didn't really get into any stage and I think that's why it felt like a bit of a a missed opportunity down there Cavalero wasn't brilliant didn't show up too much Kearney you know kind of under the radar Knockout came on for literally the last couple of minutes wasn't particularly involved and it was a very very dubious penalty and not for the first time a you know a pretty scruffy goal from a corner that, that did the damage and, and I have to say at the end of the game I thought it was a game Leeds should have won Couldn't decide if it was a positive or a negative that I expected us to potentially lose this but I expected it to be because we couldn't handle Mitrovic or Knockout came on and did something brilliant but actually as you say it was a set piece and a dodgy penalty which is We were particularly unhappy with the ref weren't we? Well yeah in, in our post match It wasn't a penalty was it? We're not, no. You're not a Leeds fan Reassure us no. no it definitely wasn't <laughs> It's fallen into the sort of VAR category, isn't it? Of he did have his hands on him and there was a, a, a tiny push there. But I always tend to go by who appeals for what. And there was a bit of noise from the crowd, but there were certainly no strong appeals from... Only Kearney, only Kearney or, wasn't it? Or, or not, not on mass. Yeah. It, it was Kearney who, you know, is, is pretty savvy in that respect. But it felt as if Robinson was desperate to give that. It felt as if it, it was kind of any any little niggle at that point and, and it was going to be going to be penalty and it was it was a really really soft decision you can get into the argument of would that have been a foul elsewhere on the pitch I'm not really sure it would have been or at least I think there are a lot of referees who wouldn't have given that you know around about the halfway line let alone in the box so it was a bad start it came a few minutes after Hernandez pulled his hamstring and you just had that feeling of, of things going wrong and, and that sense which you quite often get on, on days where, where Leeds do lose that, that it's not not going to be their day and and Minus Hernandez and one 0 down after you know kind of six minutes is a is a poor state to be in at Fulham where you know there are going to be periods of the game where you where you struggle and it it goes back to the the old discussion about Hernandez do Leeds have enough enough in the way of creativity when he isn't in the team and I still don't think they do. I mean, I know we, we know Bielsa has been busy in Wilco in Brickhouse in his tracksuit, so yes. um, he's maybe not been tending to the stuff on the training ground as much. But what sort of a, a mindset is he in? Post Fulham and heading into this this post Christmas period, I don't think he'll be happy that the gap's been cut. He he spoke about that himself before the game about the fact that it was a decent margin, but in his head, not enough to to be comfortable about. And, and said pretty openly, we we need to increase that gap. And instead, obviously, the gap's been cut. And you've got Sheffield Wednesday who who are in some really good form under under Gary Monk and, and other, other sides as well like Brentford who are just ticking over nicely they got a decent draw with West Brom at the weekend and again you know that that was a kind of open goal for Leeds to take advantage of which which they didn't but I think Bielsa strikes me as a sort of person who will never think Leeds are promoted until the day it actually happens which to be honest is quite in keeping with the entire club and the, the entire fan base I don't think anybody ever will believe it until literally running onto the pitch um, and um, being asked to, to clear off it as, as quickly as possible it's the same with the players as well they, they remember last season very clearly and they remember being in great shape at this point and being in a position where everybody kind of felt that it was going to take quite a monumental effort not to finish in the top two which obviously they they did achieve somehow to back their way out of, of those positions. So you won't see him feeling particularly comfortable or particularly happy with the league table as it is. And I think that the last two results have probably backed up a little bit of what he's been trying to say over the past month is that if 
if they get into the mindset again of this is the one, this is the year, this is when it's going to happen, then then they are liable to be to be disappointed, and they have got a hell of a lot of football left to play. What do we need to do then heading into this uh, sort of three game spell of Preston, Birmingham, and West Brom? What do we need to do across this this next week? I think they're playing well enough. Defensively, they can improve, which is an odd thing to say because that hasn't been a problem really at all through the season. There has been the issue of concessions from corners in particular and, and set pieces, but in open play, they haven't been, you know, certainly not as porous as they suddenly were against Cardiff. And I, I said this on the last podcast, but I do feel as if White has dropped off slightly from the level he, he was at previously. It was always going to be difficult against Mitrovic, and I thought it was quite interesting that that Bielsa put him up against Mitrovic rather than, than Cooper, who's probably the, the bigger, more physical player um, of the two. But but White coped fine with that. I just think he's maybe for the first time this season feeling the pace of a you know full season in, in the Championship, maybe just dipped in, in form slightly. And you always feel with Leeds that when they defend well and, and when they defend as they can they're going to take something from the game that they're most likely going to win the game because they can force the issue and and they do know how to score goals when, when they're needed. And more often than not, in a lot of games, one goal is enough for them. But it just feels that in that area where they've been so good, it, it has dropped off a little. So you feel that maybe we've just got to grab that first goal today, maybe as early as possible against Preston and see where it goes from there. And what's great is that everyone's going to hear this in hindsight. So we could be looking very foolish by the yeah, time. Yeah, well, I'd just say that that would be a good idea. Yes, it <laughs> would, be, um, would be the right strategy. And I think even more important to do that down at St Andrews where they've been guilty quite a few times in the past of falling behind and then finding that they're playing Birmingham's game with a crowd who can be pretty helpful for Birmingham when they when they get into it. And again, need to be on top of that match and, and need to be into it quickly. And then, you know, on to, on to West Brom, which is just going to be a, a pure shootout, really. They could win it comfortably. Leeds could win it comfortably. You, you wouldn't really want to call it beforehand. But I think it's important to have a little bit of form in the in the bank before that kicks off. Mm, you don't want to be getting into that game, do you? Suddenly, with a three or four point gap, and thinking, "Hang on a second, this is getting a bit hairy now." No, and and not encouraging them in, in a way where they think that as well. Um, and and when where they have it in their heads that if they win the game, actually they'll put a, a bit of clear daylight between themselves and, and Leeds, and that the pressure's on Leeds for that that reason. I don't know how bothered and Moscow and and, and Michael can obviously answer this. I don't know how bothered people would be around here about winning the title and beating West Brom to the title, but I think it's imperative that you keep close to them so that they don't have the comfort of feeling like they're out and head, out ahead and they don't need to worry about what's behind them. And also of keeping as a, a top two comfortably clear of, of what's below. When it all starts to squeeze up and when you feel like everybody's aiming for one spot and, and if Leeds are, are holding that position, that's when the pressure will really come on. I think promotion is all that matters and because you can, you can be second in the... The championship will be a good enough team to be 14th, 15th in the, the Premier League. It doesn't matter. You Once you're there, you're there. And I think at the moment, the Preston and Birmingham games are the ones we need to to shake the Cardiff result out now because I think the start against Fulham with Hernandez going off straight away and then going a goal behind, it all followed in terms of minutes. It was all within that's a continuation of that last half hour, 20 minutes against Cardiff. And then to end up losing the game meant that we we didn't quite brush that off. So we're going back to Welland Road for the first time since leaving it shell-shocked at the end of the, the Cardiff game. And today and then another resort at St Andrews would be a good way of just drawing a line under that before we have to play West Brom. In terms of the West Brom winning it over us, I don't think most people care at all. I think it's almost even reached the stage now where you, you see that gap to, to third and you think, well, maybe it's just better if West Brom go on a winning run that takes points off Preston and Brentford and all these teams below us and you know if they happen to win the league and we come second I don't think anyone's going to care 
kind of the most low value trophy going the championship title, isn't it? You unless you specifically want to to win that. And I know when it gets down to the down to the very end, as with Brighton, a, a couple of seasons where they lost it on the on the very last day, you get to the point where you the players know they can get medals, they can get a trophy. It's, it 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 kind of appeals at that point. But at this stage, halfway through the season, you you just you're just desperate to get there and and to get over the line. And it, it is it is kind of shaping up as a mirror image of last season. They they are better off in terms of points, and and I, th- I think they have been better over the course of the first half of this season than they were last season. But it's very similar. Um, very mm. similar scenario, and and they're, they're in as good a position to to finish it off. But they'll they'll know that it will require them having more stamina from here until May than than they were able to show last season. If we want a, a trophy and an open top bus, maybe we should consider dropping down to third and going into the playoffs because then we can go to <laughs> go to Wembley and have a have a big day out. Probably, I can't think of anything worse <laughs> than contemplating a playoff final at Wembley right now. This it, needs to, it needs it almost feels like we lead tonight. It's automatic or nothing. There's almost. Uh, it might be better just to sneak up in second, not have the open top bus, not have that big pressure game. Just a couple of matches from the end, we secure second and then just forget about it and then it's done. Wake up next year in the Premier League. And that's it, isn't it? Actually, what you were saying about it being a low value trophy, Phil, it's all about the Premier League millions, isn't it? It's yeah. about that grand prize because we know with Leeds, all the legacy financial stuff it, and the way that the championship is now with financial fair play and there's a, a reality sinking in that you have to sell players every year to keep your head above water. It fixes everything for just about every club does promotion, doesn't it? Never mind winning the league in this division, just get out of it. It does. That's why there's been the agreement in the, the playoff final for years that the losing team take all the gate receipts and essentially take all the, the income from it because the team who are getting promoted know that they don't need to worry about that cash and that as much as it's nice to have as much money as you can get, they can quite easily leave it behind and leave it in the, the hands of somebody else who's got who've got to worry about managing their wage bill and, and cutting the cloth and and head up and and take the the vast amount of money that comes. I mean, I remember looking at West Brom's accounts last season when when they were playing Leeds and seeing that their their income from media revenue, i.e., television rights, was uh, was well over a hundred million pounds, um, which you know is, is virtually three well three or four times what Leeds pull in in their you know their, as their entire turnover, their, their entire revenue for a year. So the difference is enormous, and and that's it really. You'd get out of this league, establish yourself in the next one in the way that, that clubs like Brighton and Bournemouth have. And, and nobody is really going to care looking back about whether or not they, they won the championship title or not. And it, it does feel, again, like it's all about the top two. And you're joking in Moscow there about you know, the prospect of a playoff final. I can't imagine the players at Leeds would... I, I'm not saying they wouldn't have the stomach for it, but I think I think they would hate the idea of having to go through that again. It was, it was so torturous last year, and they'll all be pretty haunted, I imagine, by what went on against Derby, um, and motivated by it as well. But because of that, we'll not, we'll not want to get themselves back into a scenario where it literally is all on two-legged semi-final and and one final at Wembley, because that for Leeds is when it seems to go wrong. We'd have three weeks solid of the replays from last year's matches as well after <laughs> after the end of the, the league season and then going through the semi-finals and even if we get through the semi-finals to Wembley replay. In fact, replays of every single playoff match Leeds have ever played can just be played over for that month. It's best avoided all round. Yeah. <laughs> it comes back as well to the question of what happens to Bielsa if they don't go up, which is that Bielsa leaves and what happens to Calvin Phillips, which is that Phillips almost certainly sold, you know, mentioned Hernandez in his hamstring injury there and, and he's looking at being out for a month you know I would have thought it would be the back end of January before we see him again does he have another 
season in him where he can be hugely influential player as opposed to just a player who who has a bit more of a of a supporting role. You know, what do they do in the other positions where they'll potentially lose loanees like Jack Harrison, Ben White? It it just feels imperative that they do do it this time round. And you regret the fact that they didn't last year because they were so close and because it was because it was there to be had. But this is this I think has got to be the one. Back to the topic at hand, which I guess is the football rather than dreaming about things further down yeah, the line in yeah. spring. Uh, what do you make of Scott Parker's um, comments about Leeds perhaps being a bit predictable? Yeah, I mean, he didn't use that word. He, he said they were scripted, which I think translates as predictable. He was basically saying you can read what they're going to do or, or you know what they're going to do. It doesn't really tally with what I hear from people who sit and watch them irregularly and, and will look at them from time to time and, and quite often say it's pretty hard to work out how the players know what to do and where to, to go considering the amount of rotation and 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 the, the kind of fluid tactics that, that are involved. But at the same time, it, it's not wrong to say that, that Bielsa does telegraph what he does. I mean, he telegraphs his lineup, he telegraphs his formations. He, he He's always said it's kind of out there for people to see and, and analyse. It's not as if he... It's not as if he has many secrets and and comes up with the things that people aren't expecting game to game. So he'd almost go as far as saying that somebody like Parker, if he's any good, should be able to work out how they play because they play the same way every week. Um, they play the same way, give or take, every week for about 18 months now. And if you have access to Scout and everything else, it is there to look at. And I also... I don't think with the squad as expensive as his is and the position they've been in this season, I don't think I'd be shouting the odds quite yet after a game which... I thought they were a little bit fortunate to win. To be honest, I, I didn't. I, I think a draw would would have been about right. But had they done what Jukanovic's teams used to be able to do to to Sage in the Championship and, and torn leads to shreds, then you would understand that. And and I did think last season when Norwich won it. Um, at Ellen Road and Tim Crow said afterwards you know people are making out like they're Barcelona but actually you play them and, and they're not Barcelona I thought that was fair enough on the basis of the way Norwich had played on the day they were, were considerably better but not on Saturday I mean mm. Fulham were Fulham were okay they were decent but it, it was a bit of a premature comment I think it feels a bit like he's there to be shot at in this league in the same way as when, when Swansea were fortunate to beat us earlier in the season, Cooper came out and said, oh, it fell into our game plan and stuff. And you think, well, we we should have been about four goals up by the time you scored. So that surely was not part of any game plan that you would that we would just miss loads of chances. And it felt a bit like that with Parker as well when, as we were saying, they've they've won the game through a set piece and a, and a dubious penalty. It's nothing he's done on a training ground that's obviously, obviously influenced the result. And losing Hernandez early on, I think, had a does influence how much imagination and ability to change things we have. And what I regretted with him going off was not just that it happened so early, but that it happened when he'd played a pass through this massive space between their midfield and the defence in the first minute. And I watched that and thought, there we go, there's there's where we can take advantage of Fulham all afternoon. And then the, it cut back to Pablo Hernandez lying on the floor crying. I was like, OK, well, that's going to be a problem. <laughs> Well, um, it, it did look exactly like what you were hoping for down yeah. there, that massive opening just in the centre circle that he was basically invited to to break through. And you could have imagined him doing that for, for 90 minutes and certainly picking picking apart gaps like that. And when he goes off and suddenly Dallas moves into the centre of midfield and Alioski comes onto the left and that, by the sounds of things, is going to be the formation or the, is going to be the, the plan of attack for as long as Hernandez is out... He, as, as much as Alioski is actually in good form at the minute, and he is, he is, you know, it was his pass that that set up the goal down at Fulham. He's chipped in with a, a few goals himself. He, he's kind of had his his best period of the season. It just is that it, it's more perfunctory with him in the team. There just isn't that 
same level of magic and certainly not the same level of magic with, with Dallas um, in the centre of midfield. And it's very hard to find a player as good as Hernandez to, who, who can be sort of second fiddle to him. But that is really the one thing, certainly since Saiz is gone, that they've, they've never really had in the squad at least another really natural ball playing mm. in number 10 um, in, in his mould. Um, it's going to be very difficult to get one now. Yeah, those players are just really hard to find. I know people complain about us not replacing Saiz and then on Saturday, who have we got to bring on in place of Hernandez? But there is not a bench probably anywhere in Europe that has a player as good as Hernandez just sitting there doing nothing. They're all playing and they're all at clubs who don't want to let them go because they're so hard to find. So trying to get one on a, a championship budget by any means is is difficult. Alioski's pass to Enketi because I was just thinking, because what Hernandez does, even if we are scripted as Scott Parker says, he goes off script. So there's two passes at Stoke where suddenly the ball just he's flung a pass into a space that he just didn't think was possible. That's what he brings to take us off the routine. And Alioski, to his credit, he did actually, that pass to Enketia came out of, nobody saw it coming. And it was a, a Hernandez-like moment of just, I can see how he can score a goal. And, and he he did it. Unfortunately, it's, it's with any quality player, it's how often you can pull those off and probably... Eight times out of ten, Alioski's going to put them out for a goal kick. <laughs> but then, but then the few times it works, it, it works. And maybe the players do need to not regret uh, Hernandez not being there and lift it up because the other end of um, of Hernandez's pass at Stoke was Stuart Dallas running into that space to make it happen for him. So Dallas knows how to make these things happen, and Alioski knows how to make these things happen. They've just got to take it on themselves and say, well, Hernandez isn't going to do it. We, we've got the brains here too. I don't know what goes on in Alioski's brain all the time, but if you can focus for 90 minutes, some things, are, they're not bad players at this level. Yeah, it's the irony, isn't it, that last season we were talking a lot about an over-reliance on Hernandez, which there, there definitely was. And that, in the end, probably went down as one of the best seasons of, of his career. And if if anything, there hasn't been anywhere near as much reliance on him this season. He's been injured for quite a lot of it. He hasn't been chipping in as regularly with his, his goals and, and assists. And they're still second in the table and still sitting nicely on, on 47 points. But it's just the what, watching them on, on Saturday, seeing him go off, seeing the Kettys play for the second goal, which was... Excellent, really proper centre forwards play, and and that niggle at the back of your head about is Nketiah going to go back to Arsenal next month? Which I think the signs are that yes, he will. I mean, Arsenal don't seem to be transmitting any message to Leeds about exactly what they intend to do, but people around Nketiah certainly given the impression that the the lack of games is a, is is a problem for him, and realistically, he knows he can he can get games elsewhere. And the fact that Leeds have been so active at looking at alternatives. Um, and other centre forwards that they can bring in tells you that, that they're very aware of the fact that, that that could well happen and I heard this morning that Jack Clark's gone back to Spurs which again we, we've said in this podcast several times was was always on the cards and, and kind of makes sense given how little he's played but it's just options kind of diminishing in the area of the pitch where where Leeds need options and where they need where even Bielsa says himself they need to be sharper and they need to be more more deadly um, and Hernandez is a big loss I think Nketi in his own way would be not not irreplaceable in the way that Hernandez is but when you see moments like that on Saturday you do realise that he has he has got that that little bit of, of class but I mean I don't I don't know what you think I don't know whether you think 
actually at this stage it would be quite helpful for the club to rid themselves of this Niketia narrative which just will not go away of is he playing enough is he going to play enough why isn't he in the team how does Bielsa get him into the team I wonder whether actually it would be good for everybody to to Mm. kind of step away from that we'll we'll address that one towards the back end of the podcast because I just want to ask you what represents a good return from this this Christmas period then these these three games Preston, Birmingham, West Brom I think anything less than six points would be a disappointment because it will probably let the gap um, reduce a, a little bit more I think seven points would be excellent because you with seven points you know that you're not losing at West Brom and I think any result there a draw included would would be good I think home to, to Preston away to Birmingham away to, to West Brom I don't think seven points is a, a, an unrealistic total to aim for but it'd be, it would also be very impressive if they came away with that I'd probably take six across the two games <laughs> You're happy losing to West Brom? Yeah, let them let them have the title. That's fine. <laughs> as long as they promise to be kind to us with the uh, with the rest of their form, that's that's fine. We have the that kind of character that will beat West Brom. Would probably lose to Preston and Birmingham. So three points and a win over West Brom would be uh, would be something better than nothing. <laughs> It's very rare then that we examine football in calendar years because obviously we have the season to fall back on, but we are coming towards the end of 2019 and into 2020. And um, do you think we've made much progress, Phil, over the course of a calendar year? I think so, yeah. Possibly not as much as Bielsa would have liked, uh, but I think they've got better. And considering the benchmark they were starting at um, from the, the beginning of the year, um, that's that's a, a decent achievement in itself. I, I think as well, to, to have been so close last season and, and to have, have carried it on without really any significant bumps in the road this season you know to be top two again and, and to be well clear of the rest of the field is a feather in his cap but I've said before that I do think that the standard of the division is has dropped and I think it is probably a I find myself saying this every year, but this feels like a season that you need to take advantage of because you can imagine points further down the line where the division might be more competitive than this, might be might be stronger than this. Although it does feel little by little that FFP and the, the financial constraints are starting to take hold and are, are starting to, I think, starting to limit the number of really quality players who are who are in the league. I think it's becoming more and more difficult to fund your Mitrovic's and your your Cavaleros and so on. It it, it really isn't isn't easy at this stage. And, and I mean, you, you sort of wonder whether Leeds might actually benefit from the fact that they have been um, managed fairly sensibly financially, and they haven't pushed the boat out with FFP at any point, and they've, they've kind of kept kept within the the limits of it. But yeah, no, I, I think I think they have, and and I, I still feel that I'm, with the exception possibly of the Grayson team in 2010 and 11, I, I still feel that I'm watching by some distance the best Leeds team at this level that I've seen, mm-hmm. um, far better than the Blackwell side. Um, off the scale in comparison to the one that went down with with Dennis Wise, and you know just a completely different animal to all those lost years under Hockaday and Milinic, and you know um, even Redfern and, and Evans and so on. Years where it 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 just never ever felt like happening, and and they were good under Gary Monk. They were they were really competitive, but they were not at, not at this level. I mean, the calendar year started off with that insane game at Nottingham Forest with Calvin Phillips red card when the ball overran and he uh, he did that tackle over the ball, and we were in front for a little while. I mean, it was one hell of a game, and I think that was one of the first glimpses we saw of a team. You thought there's something really special within this team. Yeah, it was it was Bielsa throwing caution to the wind, and, and the reaction to. 
Phillips red card was to get Clark on the field and basically go hell for leather. And it was, in the end, a little bit naive because they'd run out of steam. Forrest kept at them and, and picked them off towards the end. But I liked the attitude and, and I think it was I think it was befitting of a team who were going for, for the top two that rather than just rolling over and dying and, and either trying to nick a point down there or, or accepting that the game was gone, actually, actually went for it. And, you know, in, in different circumstances, if they'd managed the, the back end of the game a bit better, should probably have, have got something something out of there but it, it was a it was a crazy month all in all I mean I, it was Spygate really that was the long and short of it yeah and, the, and there's all the, the sort of if you look at the, the games that were in January we made heavy weather of it we went out to uh, of the FA Cup to QPR but we, we finished off uh, 2018 with that defeat to Hull City which was the first wobble followed by the Forest defeat and then there was the the, the loss to Stoke as well uh, in which Janssen was sent off and that win with Derby and Spygate was the story of January. Yeah, so it was weird the way that broke. I mean, I, I, it it was a Friday morning just before the game, and it was in the Telegraph. You know, the, this, this idea that um, member of Leeds staff had been caught, you know, caught peering through the fences at Derby's training ground, and your initial reaction was to think. Surely nobody would be that rash or or that reckless. And I remember speaking to a couple of people at the club who, at the time, were were unaware of exactly how how things had gone. And um, you know, we're unaware of the fact that Bielsa was was really doing this. That he had interns out and about trying to see what was going on at opposition training grounds. And they were kind of saying to me, it it, it might be that it's you know someone has done this off their own back in an attempt to impress him um, and to to pull in a bit more information because he has interns who who do work themselves to the bone trying to you know trying to help with the, the pre match analysis. And then all of a sudden, statement from Derby saying. Yeah, there was somebody um, outside our training ground. We do think they were. It was uh, someone on the on the books at, at Leeds, and we're going to complain to the the football league, stroke the football association. But um, nothing quite as startling as Bielsa walking onto Sky before kickoff and saying, "Yeah, absolutely, I did it. It was my man. He was told to go by me." Um, and then the, the long press conference afterwards, where quite honestly, he 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 just sat and said, "Yeah, this is what I do. This is this is what I've done before. It's what I do in other countries. There's no, I'm not hiding anything about it." But I think he knew straight away that it was not going to go quietly, that one. Fair to say there was a certain amount of uh, unhappiness within the club that he'd done that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, there must have been people who who knew that he was sending interns to, to analyse other teams like that. I find it hard to imagine that nobody else would have been aware. Uh, I mean, you've got Victor Otto there, who's director of football, who you would assume is close enough to, to have some inkling of, of, of the idea that that might be going on. And, and if it was widely known, it surprises me greatly that at no point did anybody say, look, this is not a good idea and this is probably going to, this is probably going to bite you at some stage. And and I say that as somebody who didn't think that it was really deserving of any stringent punishment and, and certainly not of, of £200,000 fine, which is what it ended ended up being. Um, but I think what I think what frustrated the club a little bit more, actually, and, and what really led to the, the conflict with other clubs was the press conference that he did, the 66-minute epic, where he sat us all down um, and went through his um, through his analysis and, and his, his video footage and, and showed us the depth of, of what he does pre-match, as, as if to say it makes no difference whether we spy on the opposition or not because this is what we... We know about them, although as a lot of people in the game will say, if you go to watch a team train on a Friday or the day before a game, you will see their exact shape, you'll see who's playing, who's not. And if, as was the case, Harry Wilson isn't in Derby's team as he wasn't for that game, then you'll see that he's missing, that he's not fit. And, you know, potentially there's a there's a tactical advantage there. But I think even though he wasn't trying to do this, the, the impression amongst other clubs was that he was saying, 
look at all the analysis we do. We are so much better than everybody else. And it did put a few noses out of joint, even though he was really just trying to say... I'm stupid, wasn't it? Well, he was trying to say, I'm stupid, I'm obsessive about this. But the, the real point was, we don't need to go and peer through somebody's fence because this is all the information we have anyway. The only reason we do that is because I'm totally paranoid about missing things and I'm completely obsessional with, with covering every base. But it wasn't seen like that in championship circles. And that was the point at which letters started to be written, at which people people at other clubs started to ask the question of what have Leeds been doing? How often have they been around our training grounds, if at all? Have they had any help from staff within our club? You know, what what methods have they been using to, to gain information? And somebody at another club said to me, had it not been for that press conference, it's possible that other championship clubs would have let it go. Although I have my doubts about that, I have to say. But certainly that did rile a few people. And from that point onwards, it was really a case of what are the EFL going to do and how bad is the punishment going to be? I think it partly depends on attitudes in the rest of the championship as well. Some clubs went with it. I was interested when um, Jonathan Woodgate did his his press conference earlier in the season. It was only a couple of weeks after Spygate, so I think it was still going on, possibly pre the fine that we played them away. And, and Woodgate said, because he was assistant to Pulis at the, the end of the game, Bielsa came and gave him all the analysis they'd done on, on Middlesbrough that season because they wouldn't be playing them again. He's like, right, well, you might be interested in seeing everything that we've gathered on, on your Team, and we spoke about it when it was occurrence about the in the early nineties in Argentina that Bielsa, because he was videotaping, he was getting videotapes of everybody else's matches. He used to send videotapes of Newell's to to them to ensure that everybody had a an equal playing field. And there's a famous story of a, a coach who didn't believe in video analysis, saying he didn't want any of this, but receiving a box of fourteen hours of footage of of, of matches anyway, just so that Bielsa could say square it off, everything's even. I think there was a there's a, a an understanding with some clubs in the the championship of of what he was trying to get across and the the point he was making. But then I suspect, I mean, Neil Harris had already called him a disgrace in English football by this point and him and his chief exec down at Millwall seem to be some of the most vociferous about this, even though you really look at where Millwall are in the table and you're tempted to say, well, what has it even got to do with you? I think it did add something to the rest of the season of people wanting to have a pot shot at the cheats. Yeah, Norwich were... Norwich were really behind a lot of the, the movement to, to have Leeds punished or certainly for there to be a, a fairly in-depth investigation but around about half of the clubs d- didn't sign the letter weren't particularly interested in, in seeing that that push forward um, I think one of the frustrations at Leeds as well was that they were under the impression that if they if they essentially apologised which they did I mean in their in their statement straight after the Derby game they, they pretty much said Bielsa shouldn't have done this mm. you know and the, it, it was pretty unequivocal and they were of the impression that if they did that and if they held their hands up to it that there would be no complaint from Derby that there would be no complaint from, from Mel Morris and obviously there was subsequently that you know Derby were very much in, involved in it as well and it, it was quite funny afterwards because you, you got the sense from Bielsa of him after that point trying to be uber transparent about absolutely everything so it didn't seem like a coincidence I know he did it for the FA Cup game down at QPR but I think he was doing that because he was going to make a lot of changes and he wanted to try and explain why that was being done to preempt the questions about have you disrespected the FA Cup but to then start naming his team after you know before every single game it did feel like him making the point of saying to people look 
here is everything you need to know about us. You, you can't have any more information than this. You know exactly what's going on and being totally open. And I'm sure there was part of him that was was trying to make a point there and, and say to people, this is, you know, this is overblown and it, it is a bit out of out of proportion. And I did feel sorry for him in the sense that it, it you know, in, in other countries, it is the culture to do that in, in Spain and particularly in, in Argentina. I just think that somebody at Leeds should have been savvy enough had they picked up on that to say to him, if you get caught doing this, it won't go down well, um, and it's almost inevitable that you'll you'll have to have to answer for it. But I'm still amazed that the you know the outcome of this was a two hundred thousand pound fine because I don't think it was anything like that severe. Would he would he have been better off lying, having saying yes, I did it at Derby, but rather than coming out with the full truth, if he'd have just said yes, we did it on this occasion, sorry about that. I don't think he's a throw under the bus kind of guy though, because they could quite easily have said that the the intern, uh, the French intern who went down there, had gone rogue and, and done it off his own back, and perhaps the French intern would have, in, you know, been happy to say, you know, for the, for the sake of protecting Bielsa, yeah, look, you know, I just thought this this could help, and I decided to to go and do it. That was why Bielsa phoned Lampard straight away. I think he wanted to say straight up that this is nothing to do with my intern it's nothing to do with anybody else at the club it's my decision I've done this and I want to tell you that to to your face and I'd be fascinated to hear that conversation over the phone I don't know whether Lamrani was translating for him or whether Bielsa was speaking in in kind of pidgin English Um, and I I don't you know I I think Lampard was receptive to the call but you very much got the impression afterwards that Bielsa didn't want to say sorry for it because he didn't feel that that he should he just wanted to be honest about the fact that they'd they'd done it Lampard didn't particularly feel like he'd been apologised to and didn't even give the impression that he wanted to be apologised for I think was so annoyed about the fact that it had happened um, in the first place Mm. so yeah, I mean, he, he, I I think they could probably have bluffed and lied their way out of that one had they wanted to, but sensible not to because ultimately you're just um, you're just tying yourself in knots and mm. and risking it being even more severe and, and even worse. It was interesting how um, Lampard almost do I want to say he used the media in order to to shape the narrative. And I want to know, do you think we would have beaten Derby in the playoffs without Spygate if none of that had happened? I don't think it made any difference in the uh, in um, the playoffs. I, it definitely made a difference to the game at Ellen Road, and Lampard realised himself afterwards that I think not only had he made too much of it, he'd done it. He'd done it at the wrong time. He, they'd they'd let this go before the game, and it had completely dominated the build up to the game. And they were they were thoroughly outplayed at Ellen Road. And when he came into the press conference and sat down, he he said himself, "This is a difficult one for me because on the one hand." I have I've got to say to people that we've been you know we've been battered tonight we we've, we've not played well they've they've been all over us they deserve to win but on the other hand I am very unhappy about what's gone on and, and there's a, a kind of bigger issue there so I think it did affect that game but by the playoffs it didn't feel like part of the the agenda and I know at the end of the second leg there were all the celebrations of derby players and Lampard doing the the spying gesture but I don't think that was why Cassie and Cooper got mixed up I don't think it was why Cooper gave away that penalty in the second half. I don't think it's why Berardi fouled Bradley Johnson in, in the way that he did. It was just a, a bizarre, ridiculous game. Uh, I think by that point, it, it had gone. There were moments throughout that season and we, we pinpoint the likes of West Brom at home, Millwall, Sheffield Wednesday, the home victory and Wigan up to a certain point when it felt like the whole thing was going to happen. Why did it not happen? Why did the wheels come off then? If it wasn't related to Spygate, what was it? I just think it was tension in the end. I, I, I really do. I think prior to the, the Wigan game, There'd been other opportunities where, 
you expected them to win and they didn't. I'm thinking QPR away, a particularly obvious game where never really got into that game and lost to QPR side who were on an awful run of form and, and literally picked up for that one Tuesday night and, and then carried on in, in the way that they've been going. There was Stoke City away, which you know, became, for some reason, just turned into exactly the sort of game that Stoke wanted and needed at, at that point. And, you know, really real win for Nathan Jones, which... You know, he he had a massive photo of himself on the on the wall near the near the press room, which I assume is gone now. But I I don't know. Maybe it's there for there forever. It, it was that big a win. Taking it with him, I imagine. <laughs> yeah, possibly, possibly. Birmingham as well away at St Andrews, not a good side, but you know, managed to managed to dig that that result out. But you know, because if you if you compare those to the the losses to Sheffield United and Norwich at Ellen Road, you're talking about two very good teams who were as much in the running for the top two as as Leeds were. But those other fixtures, you know, they all finished in the bottom third of the league, and they were all pretty susceptible to to poor performances and and poor results. But I just uh, it's it's very hard to explain, and it, it kind of feels like a psychological issue. But it, it was Wigan on Good Friday that just seemed to that seemed to panic everybody, and they they seemed to go from a position of actually being quite tranquil and being well in control to suddenly seeming to having lost it in, in every area of the pitch and confidence gone at, at the click of a finger. Um, it's very difficult to understand and I don't think any of the players would really be able to explain what went on mm. on that Friday. It's almost a bit like shell shock, wasn't it? Like, hang on a second, this is not in the script. Yeah, but, but to be shell shocked at 1-0 up against 10 men, that's that was why it was so confusing. It wasn't as if they'd had a player Leeds had had a player sent off and, and Wigan had taken the lead and suddenly everybody was thinking oh wait a minute you know this is this is potentially damaging they, they were in I mean it, it couldn't have been set up to be an easier easier day um, and I think the one thing they will definitely regret from that afternoon is how kind of low key the performance was from the opening goal to the latter stages of, of the first half and the fact that they didn't really turn the screw when they could have done and maybe the failure to get Dan James as well was uh, just something that held us back just enough yeah the, the, he'd have been worth a few more points wouldn't he he'd have been worth a, a result here and there he, he might have he might have been able to force the issue against Wigan he might have been the difference down at QPR you know it it, it, it is it, it's hard to say that they they would definitely have been promoted with him, but I think they they would certainly have had a few more points than than they did in the end. I think there's an element when because Bielsa always says that his plan B is plan A but better and harder. I think that that's good, but it can be difficult to keep the players in that frame of mind or for ninety minutes through a match when things are going wrong. And there's elements where you can put it down to to bad luck, but the fact that we conceded in the Wigan game a minute before half time and then the the Ipswich match when it was admittedly all over, but then conceding that ridiculous goal in the the last minute of the of the season to to lose that game, and then that that those both kind of previewed what happened against Derby, where it was the goals either side of half time. There were just those everything seemed to happen at the wrong moment, and then the players didn't seem to be able to to stick to the plan and think, okay, if we keep doing what we've been told to do it'll stop that from happening and we'll be fine. There was just kind of, I think they were a little bit caught as well. It's been said about the, the Derby game that having to, that's still attacking in the last five minutes of the first half when there were a goal up, they should have been at that point just passing it. Cooper to Casilla all night would have been absolutely fine, but instead plan A was so reliant on attack at all costs, vamos, vamos, get forward and get more goals. And yeah, I think that some some of the belief maybe dropped out of out of the players in what they were doing, and 
and once the belief goes, the confidence goes with it, doesn't it? Well, you look at the start of the year with that Forest game when it was just Vamos and it, and it mm. worked up to a point, but it just got away from us. So when we hit the summer then, Phil, uh, what do you think's changed then? Because we've seen the results of it this season. There appears to be a more business-like approach of Leeds. Okay, we've had this this wobble lately, but even still... Yeah, well, that's one thing that's changed. The, the kind of all-out attack, you're not... You, it is there, but it's there in a much more structured and controlled way, and it, it isn't reckless um, in in the way that that it could be. I mean, the the thing that always strikes me about Bales' teams is that everything, even the the kind of search for goals that are desperately needed, you know, kind of last ditch push for equalizers or, or winners, is always collective. There's there's no thought in Bales' mind of relying on somebody like we I mean, we spoke about the the Kearney goal in 2017 at Craven Cottage. No no thought of looking for somebody to dig them out of trouble by doing that. It, it's not, he isn't a sort of Hail Mary pass guy who is hoping that they, they roll a six right when they need to. It is all structured and, and that that hasn't really changed. I mean, the, the things that he wanted to change over the summer was that he, he wanted to make more of the loan signings because he was aware that Lewis Baker had been a waste of time, really. Izzy Brown, likewise. And funnily enough, I mean, throwing on Izzy Brown in the last couple of minutes against Derby was actually one There's of the... There's the Hail Mary. It was exactly, <laughs> yeah, one the few occasions where I can, can think of Bielsa basically saying what the hell, we might as well just try this and, and he might come up with something. But that's just not his his way of thinking and I think that's why he he, he wasn't into a player like Brown because he can't, he might come up with bits of magic but he doesn't fit in well enough to the, the overall overall programme. So he wanted more from his loanees. He, he, he wanted to improve the finishing which has been kind of the bane of his life at, at Leeds. You know, he knows that he kind of has a team here who could be scoring five or six goals a game and just never do score five or six goals a game and he also wanted to reduce the the injuries which were a problem last season and unfortunately have been a problem again this season so on one front in terms of making the loans work better I know Nketi hasn't been too involved and I know Clark is going back to to Spurs as we speak but Ben White has been excellent Jack Harrison has has been excellent I think I think they they just about feel that they're they're in credit on that one. But in terms of improving the finishing and in terms of reducing injuries, they, they haven't really haven't really moved forward. And we could close out the year with a with a pretty decent run. I know, let's say we've had a couple of games of a wobble, but we're looking down the list of fixtures here, and there's an awful lot of green in this season for for victory. So, uh, but then again, we got that in the first half of last season. Do you think we've learned anything then? The players think they have. I, I, I said in the last podcast I went to speak to Liam Cooper and uh, there's an interview out with him him on on the athletic site today and he certainly thinks that they'll have a thicker skin because of what what went on last season I mean it has to be said that none of the players are really able to articulate exactly what went wrong which I think kind of sums up the fact that nobody's quite sure nobody's quite certain I'm not sure even Bielsa can explain why it went so badly wrong against Wigan and, and then in, in the playoffs but they do feel that because they've had that once and because they've they've dealt with it once that there'll be better place to, to cope with it this time round and I think if, if nothing else they're far less likely to think that they're home and hosed long before they are on the basis that it did go wrong last season from a, a position of, of some strength so that should help and as I say the, the points tally is better I do think the performances general standard of them is been slightly higher than they were last season and I'm still not certain about where the challenge is coming from below them I didn't think a huge amount of Fulham on Saturday Sheffield Wednesday have obviously got the threat of this mega points deduction depending on what happens with the the various charges FA charges that have been brought against them and you've got others like Preston and and Brentford who look good and the the results are good but also seem a a little bit in and out so once again it it really is all all there for them and, and 
leads to lose. Over the course of the year, it's interesting to look at the annual stats. So we've recorded this before Preston, but when you include Preston and then Birmingham into this points tally, we will have played 46 games. At the minute, we've got 79 points from 44 uh, it could be as high as 85 then, which is what, upper playoffs uh, level? Uh, upper playoffs or in a good year, that would, would get you promoted automatically. You, you're giving yourself a, a chance and, and that's what you know. That's pretty much what they were on for last season as well. They, they should really have gone closer to 90 last season and, and should have been promoted automatically. But yeah, they, they should definitely be in, in that ballpark and they're not far off an average of two points a game, which is pretty much what you need. So they, they are well placed and, and they are in in really good shape and I mean a lot of the players have had very good calendar years I was looking at Bamford I think he's got 18 goals in, in you know 41 appearances I think it is since um, the start of January which is a really good return you know and, and actually I know you don't categorise it from you know over the course of two seasons or, or two half seasons but that that does kind of mark him down as a 20 goal a season striker which is not what any of us have been saying at, at, at any point um, up until the, the period recently where he's been scoring but actually his contribution contribution has been really good and you do understand more and more why it is that, that Bielsa is pinning himself to, to Bamford so rigidly I think there's an element with Bamford and with the, the team in general where because we see them attack so much and this is maybe where uh, the expected goals chart is a is a bane of people's existence as, as much as it's a useful tool because in a team that attacks this much and creates that many chances, you think you look at Bamford and think, well, you should be getting Messi and Ronaldo numbers. Why haven't you got fifty in a in a calendar year? But then you, yeah, we're in the championship. I don't, I don't know. Sometimes it feels like we're the Cardiff game in particular when we were, we were that good in the opening stages you, you want to see us take advantage and you want to see Bielsa in the championship winning games 8 nil, 8-0 9-0 10-0 just because he's the greatest coach in the world and we're the best team in the world and this is the opportunity for the two things to come together and really hammer people but when you do look at the Bamford's numbers over a year and the the consistency that we've had since Bielsa arrived. We've had the the bad end of, of last season, but even then it wasn't terrible. We still finished third and we've had the a couple of times where we've dropped points this season, but keeping it up at that 1.8 to 2 points per game level for as long as we have is unheard of for years at Leeds and it's difficult for any team in a division like this to pull off, I think. You can't discount as well the other championship clubs in this. I think most managers in the division would be extremely disappointed to, to ship three, four, five goals against Leeds regardless of, of how Leeds play because they they have the time through the week to to set up their tactics and they know this goes back to what we were saying about um, Scott Parker you know his comments last weekend they know how Leeds play they know what Leeds are, are going to do and I think any coach who who's worth the salt would like to think that they can set up in a way which doesn't mean you're going to beat Leeds or necessarily take anything from the game but but so that you're going to be be competitive and, and actually as much as Leeds have, have won a huge number of games under Bielsa there are plenty of examples of, of how best to play against them and how to kind of, kind of maximise the percentages um, and, and give yourself the best chance of, of getting something out of the game and, and it, it's important to remember that teams in this league never ever roll over very very few soft you know soft sides and I think you know we, we saw it with, with Middlesbrough but even Cardiff even Cardiff had the backbone to realise once they got one goal that actually there might be something to be had from, from that match much as they seem to be beaten after an hour so I don't think in this league you're going to get a huge no- I mean Brentford's 7-0 win over Luton they're pretty rare mm. you know um, routes like that no matter how you play um, and I mean it's got to the stage hasn't it where you take one nillers 
every day of the week because it it, it has the same impact and and, and ultimately it, it does the same to to the table and and it almost feels as if Bielsa and the players are starting to think like that as well that it doesn't need to be champagne football every week and they don't need to worry about being ridiculously entertaining because ultimately if you're ridiculously entertaining and you finish third and losing the playoffs nobody cares do you think teams work harder against us as well. There's always been that perception of it's the post-Leeds resort. People always raise the game against Leeds. This year you've got, and last season, you've got Bielsa, who is so different. So it does give a coach who wants to make his marks, right, this is how we're going to get set up against Leeds specifically and maybe put more work into it than they might do against Sheffield Wednesday or against, you know, Preston, who are a bit, maybe a bit more run-of-the-mill in that ilk. And then you added Spygate to it that basically pissed off half the division and you've got three real strong reasons to beat Leeds United that you don't get when you're playing Middlesbrough. You don't you don't have that anxiety, that that will to win. I, I think I think they have to work harder than they do against most teams because of the way Leeds play. I think it's it, it's almost physically imperative that you do, because if you don't then you you're liable to get cut to shreds. But I mean I I speak to a lot of ex players about this and you know, Richard Naylor's one who springs to mind who said it did feel like that every time you, you played anybody that they, they did have that extra bit in the performance because of the fact that they were, were playing against Leeds it, it probably doesn't apply only to Leeds I think if you're Nottingham Forest down in League One um, Sheffield Wednesday mm-hmm. down in League One it, it's the same it's the same sort of thing I, I think in the Championship there are a, a fair number of rivalries that the players probably tap into so Derby for example you know they, they will know what the history is like with, with Leeds Forest as well you've got your Sheffield clubs it, it, there's no shortage of teams who, who, who do enjoy it when they when they turn Leeds over so I think it is an issue I suspect it was far more of an issue down in League One than, than it is in the Championship but um, they will work hard against Leeds because as I say you, you simply have to because of the tactics I think I'm picturing Gary Monk's smug face every time he takes a point off Bielsa he can just go and say, yep, that's me, best coach in the world, Gary Monk. You'd, you'd say they're a surprise Wednesday, but actually when I think back through the first half of this season, there haven't been too many sides who've made Leeds look more uncomfortable than, mm. than Wednesday did down at Hillsborough. But as I say, the, the kind of elephant in the room with, with them is what's going to happen as and when the, the, the Football League make a decision, the EFL make a decision on on the, the stadium issue down at Wednesday. It's got the sense of the, or the feel of a Kiko Casilla case, and which is to say that it could go on forever. I mean, and no way of knowing when this will settle itself. But I mean, at any point, that could um, that could pull the rug from from under them. And I think if they do get a points deduction, it will be so hefty that that they'll be a long way from the top six. Well, as we record, we're seeing news hot off the press about uh, Niketia. Well, I say hot off the press, straight out of the programme notes from Angus Kinnear. What's he saying? He's, we're trying, we're begging him to stay, basically. <laughs> <laughs> Probably pretty much as you were, but he's uh, he has um, spoken about it, saying that uh, uh, we still believe he can make a huge impact over the remainder of the season at Leeds United. And accordingly, we are endeavouring to convince Eddie and the technical team at Arsenal that the coaching environment and profile of the playing opportunity at Thorpe Arch and Elland Road is still the best choice for his long-term development. I suppose... They want to concentrate on the profile of the playing opportunity at Elland Road rather than the under-23s at Thorpe Arch, if that's the profile of the playing opportunity he's had so far. But Angus hasn't give up, given up hope. The key part of that, I think, is trying to convince Eddie and the technical staff. It's not only a case of convincing Arsenal here, I don't think. I think that they're having to having to persuade Niketia that actually it is worth his while and it comes back to that comes back to that thing of knowing that it's of value to players to train under Bielsa but ultimately the value of that is limited if you're not playing games and you know he got 45 minutes at Fulham but generally it, it, 
he is on the bench and, and he isn't kicking a ball too often. Arsenal have actually been pretty patient about this, but they have made it clear to Leeds that he's not playing as much as they would like. They, this wasn't really what they expected to happen when Nketi came in. And, and I don't think it was what Leeds expected to happen when they paid the money for Nketi, who wasn't cheap. You know, between the loan fee and the wages, you, you're talking, you know, a hefty seven-figure sum that will have gone on this transfer for, for not you know, he's, he's had the odd crucial goal, but not a huge amount in return. The way it is at the moment, though, you... Because, and because of the tone of of that from Kinnear, Arsenal are yet to tell Leeds what they're thinking and, and what they want to do. Leeds are obviously not clear on, on what's going to happen and they don't know for sure whether Nketi will be here. And, and as I was saying, the, the fact that they are looking at other options tells you that, that they think there's actually quite a high likelihood that Nketi will go. And you know, I, I do speak to people around Nketi and, and they, it is always the same message that it's not that he's unhappy here and it's not that they don't understand... Bielsa's reasoning for for his team. I mean, that you know they they can see the table themselves, but that's not really any good for Nketi, and it's not you know it's not great for for his development. I think if you're forcing me to put money on, um, I would be wagering that he'll head back next month, and Leeds will have to look for for somebody else. But clearly, it's still there to be discussed and and there to be to be negotiated. I just think deep down. Is Nketi thinking he's going to play much in the second half of the season? Are Arsenal thinking he's going to play much in the second half of the season? Do comments like that from Kinnear really make any difference when Orta did a huge PowerPoint presentation to sign him in the first place and, and did lay out you know, exactly how it was that they thought Nketi would fit, fit in and, and why he would do so well at Leeds and why he would develop so much? Is is that going to make any difference? I I kind of feel that because Bristol City are still so invested in this one and, and ready to go with Nketiah and, and potentially other clubs will be as well, Arsenal might well feel that you know it's it's more in his interest and their interest for him to go somewhere else and play. Mm. And what do we do then in terms of replacement? Do you think there's somebody like Rian Brewster who's ready to step in or they're going to make a move on? Yeah, um, he, he's definitely an option. Um, I just wonder how the conversation will go when it comes down to the point of <laughs> don't look at the evidence. Is he going to play? <laughs> don't look at the evidence of is, is he is he going to be? But then some clubs might be more open to the idea of a player coming in, playing a bit, you know, being kind of involved in a squad on on match days. With Brewster, I think Liverpool would want him to be far more active than that, and I think they would see this as a as a crucial loan for him in, in the sense of getting him going and him starting to to pick up towards the standard needed for the the Premier league I've seen them link with Che Adams who is an option pretty expensive one I think but certainly Southampton haven't got much of a place for him and their plans at the moment and it's going to have to be somebody like that but again to use Adams as an example what do you say to him when it's fairly apparent that Bamford is going to play if Bamford is fit he's probably going to play in every game until the end of the season where would somebody like Adams fit in or Brewster with you know how exactly are they going to slot into this team given that Niketia is is pretty much scrambling for any opportunity he can can get off the bench so I think they'd have the funds to do it I think they'd be able to to pull off a signing like that it helps that Jack Clark has gone back to Spurs because that frees up more space on the wage bill that that they can use as well it, it should make a signing possible but they are going to have to court whoever it is that they want and they are going to have to convince them that actually they're not coming here to just do exactly what they're doing at the the parent club at the moment and exactly what Nketi has been doing for the last four or five months I have more breaking news uh, Che Adams is starting up front for Southampton against Chelsea <laughs> as we speak is he really? he is yeah <laughs> so the, the options are becoming more and more limited <laughs> amazing well it's interesting because they, they had a look at Tosin over at Everton as well who I, I assume would have been wildly out of their price range because for a long 
time at the, the start of the season, it didn't look like he had any any place in the in the picture over there. And then little by little, he's kind of come come back in, and 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 there goes Shea Adams from from nowhere to, to starting up front for Southampton. And suddenly, if he starts scoring goals for Southampton, then you can scratch him from the list from you know not only Leeds but but other clubs in the Championship who I think would would definitely fancy him as well. And it's what they always say: it's not a great window, January. It's difficult. You're very reliant on mm. clubs. Doing you doing you favors, the circumstances at clubs falling in a way that that allows them to to do you favors. But if Niketia goes, and you know the, there is a likelihood that he might, then they have absolutely got to sign somebody else. Where does Ryan Edmondson fit in? Because he, he seems to always score goals in the reserves, but he never, even when we've had injuries and we've we've chosen to go with no strikers on the bench rather than him. I, I don't think he does fit in at this stage. I don't think Bielsa has sold on him completely. And you're right. I mean, I, th- I think if he was, and and if he thought Edmondson was was definitely ready he would certainly have been in, in one of the squads up until now particularly when they've been been short of bodies and in that stretch when Niketia was was injured but I don't think he had a great summer Edmonton I don't think he, he progressed in the way that Bielsa would have liked and, and he does seem to be a little bit further further back than you guys like Stevens and Gotts and so on even though he does keep scoring for the the 23s but um no it would be a it would be an external external signing and it does actually sound a little like they're considering replacing Clark it wasn't the plan and and they, they seemed happy to, to let him go. But I think, again, if something good comes up there and they think they can afford it and they think they can finance it, they, they might be tempted to, to have a go. It gives you kind of that extra option in the number 10 bit as well, doesn't it? In terms of um, replacing Niketia, it feels like we've kind of painted ourselves into a corner a little bit with, well, Bielsa has, I guess, and it's going to now require a leap of faith on the part of a parent club to say, OK, then go on then. We, we trust you that you're at some point going to use this player if Bamford, you know, breaks a, a metatarsal or whatever it might be. Do you think Bielsa's been a little bit naive in his handling of, uh, of Niketia? Possibly, yeah. I, I think just a creature of habit, isn't he? You know, this is how he works. This is what he does. And it's always the, the same with Bielsa. When you appoint him and when you bring him in, you pretty much have to accept his philosophies and also the little idiosyncrasies that, that go with it and you know that this is this is certainly one the fact that you've got a very good finisher who can't can't get into the team although I do think in Bielsa's defence it's the right decision to be starting Bamford ahead of Niketi I'm still not convinced that you would get the same from Niketi in that lone centre forwards role that you do from, from Bamford because there is an awful lot more to it than, than scoring goals but when you see Niketi's finishing and, and the, the move at Fulham spinning away from his marker and just that real instinctive ability to do what needs to be done in the space of one and a half, two seconds to to lay on a tap-in for, for Bamford. You, you realise that there is a lot to be to be made from a, a player like that. But but this is Bielsa and in the same way as the been having to use Struick and having to use Ollie Casey because there, there isn't a, an extra centre-back, Nikete doesn't play because... Bielsa doesn't want him in the team. He, he wants Bamford in the team, and you can't argue with that. You can, you know, you can have your opinion on it, but there's no point telling Bielsa he's wrong because um, he he won't bend. <laughs> the injury. I mean, Enketia bent in the the most painful way imaginable when he was about to get his first start. So there there has been that element of misfortune. I wonder if that might yeah. be part of, part of the reasoning when they go back to him and go to Arsenal and say, "Look, you your name, you were in the starting lineup. You you trained. You were going to be part of the." the team you were going to take over from Bamford but things happen you got injured do you want to stay here and go again and have another crack at, at getting past him because I do I feel sometimes I mean I know it, le- it might leave us short in terms of who we can replace him with but when you do hear that focus on what's good for Enketia's development we're trying to get promoted after I 15 years yeah. out of the Premier League I don't really give a toss about Enketia's development and what's good for him and what's not 
if Bamford stays fit and scores goals for the rest of the season, I don't care if Enketia scores 20 for Bristol, they'll still finish ninth. It won't affect my life. <laughs> what will affect my life is is Leeds going up. Whoever is in that reserve striker's shirt sitting on the bench watching Bamford score. This is what I was saying earlier. Is it, is it advantageous to anybody in the second half of the season to have this narrative kicking on about what about Niketia? How does he fit in? Why isn't he playing? Why didn't he take him off the bench? Because any time as a substitution or any time you, you think Bielsa needs to, to change the game slightly, if it's not Niketia that he goes for, instinctively people are inclined to say, well, Surely that's the obvious option, and and why isn't he doing it? And it does feel like this. Well, exactly that. It feels like this constant discussion Mm. about somebody who isn't in the team, and actually, to look at most of the results, doesn't need to be in the team. It's unnecessarily become a thing, hasn't it? Yeah, I think so. I think the club realise that as well. They they do really want to keep him, and they will keep him if they can. But I think that there have been periods where they've they've kind of been a little bit bemused by the the sheer amount of attention on him when actually the team's doing fine and and is in is in good shape. So. So we'll see with that one. As I say, I'm not convinced that it's working out for him in, in a way that he would like and, and Arsenal would like. But then he has to think seriously about what, what would come next as well because I don't see him going back to the Emirates and playing for them the second half of the season. I think it would be would be another loan elsewhere. But that is hundred now that Clark's gone, that's 100% the one to watch. Speaking of Clark then, so let's unpick that um, if we can briefly because yeah. that feels like that's been a very strange series of events that's happened with Clark. Doesn't it feel to you like he moved too soon? Yes. Um, but, but it's a move that suited, I guess, everybody at the time. It suited Leeds financially, and I think they'll feel more than ever that for 9.4 million or thereabouts, that they've they've got very good money for Clark. Um, he, he hasn't looked good this season, the little he's played, and, and he didn't look great at the back end of last season. And you do think that they, they might have got the, the best, you know, the best half of, of this deal. It feels to me like... There was a there was a clause in the contract when he when the transfer was done, which said that Leeds had first refusal on him for a season's loan after the he moved. So if they'd said no, he could have gone elsewhere. But ultimately, if he was going to go out on loan, he had to be offered to Leeds first. And it it feels to me like Leeds saw it as a easy opportunity and, and almost a why not opportunity if he's there to be had and we can take the money from the initial transfer but loan him back why not just do it you know what's the, the worst that can happen and it's never really felt like Bielsa I don't know whether it's fair to say that Bielsa didn't want him but it's never really felt as if Bielsa felt like he needed him around particularly he's been on the bench a bit but he's he's hardly ever well I mean virtually never um, the option that Bielsa turns to um, there have been spells where he hasn't been on the bench because they've got too many low knees and, and, and he can't fit in and all in all, a bit of a waste of time, I would have said. I don't, I don't think Clark will go away feeling like this has been particularly good for him. I mean, Ian Hart's his agent. Mm. And do you think he's responsible in some way for engineering this move? I think they wanted the move. I think they definitely wanted to go to Tottenham. And it's that thing, isn't it, of picking the right time to do it. And it is difficult because there have been a lot of times in the past where young players have gone or decent players have gone and people have questioned whether it's a sensible move, whether they'd be better off staying. And then lo and behold, five years pass and Leeds are still a championship club and they you know, they haven't made much progress in that period themselves. And you know, the, the age old thing about House and we'll pass him on, on the way up, you know, um, or when he's on the way down, Snodgrass and others, it never happens. And I think the temptation when you, you have Tottenham saying, look, come and join us is pretty strong um, and, and pretty difficult to to turn down is it going to be good for him in the long run the signs aren't promising to be honest and I think if somebody like Niketia isn't going to get a game at Arsenal in the second half of this season then somebody like Clark is most certainly not going to get a game in the second half of this season at, at Tottenham and I can see Niketia going on to be a good player for Arsenal I'm not sure I can ever see Clark fitting in at Spurs 
That's interesting. That is interesting. So you've referenced a few times the Liam Cooper interview. Some really good stuff in that. If anybody who's not read it, what can we uh, what can we find in that? The League One Liam stuff. He addresses that. Yeah, I mean, I asked him about that specifically because that was always the the nickname that was thrown at him. League One Liam. Another way of saying not good enough for the team, not good enough to get us out of this this division, which is you know a touch ironic given the the league position of the last eighteen months or so. And, and I sort of said to him, were you, "Were you aware of that nickname?" And he said, "Oh, absolutely. You know, I, I knew that was going around." And and in, in his defence, he said, "To be perfectly honest, I I'd, sometimes I played like that. You know, there were times where my form was." kind of League One Liam and that's the, the standard I, I was at but the most interesting stuff I thought was about Bielsa and the, the changes that that have come under him and particularly that have come for Cooper um, individually and he was saying that he, he thinks he, he's a better defender now because they defend less because they play in a way that suits his game far more more distribution more time on the ball looking for more passes whereas to go back to some of his previous seasons he said quite openly we, we were defending too much you know we, we were a defensive team which meant we were under the cosh a lot so the, the scope to make errors or the, you know the, the scope to showcase yourself as a really quality centre-back was was never there. And he does look like a completely different player now to, to the player that I first remember seeing when he came in from, from Chesterfield. I think the other thing as well is that to speak to everybody at Leeds, he is seen as a very, very good captain. Um, not only as a as a player, but I think generally the, the way he is with the, the rest of the squad, what he does um, and, and the way he holds it all together. Someone was saying to me that when when they sign players, the first WhatsApp the new signing receives is always from Cooper and the first signing the new players better half always receives is from Cooper's partner, Abby. And it's just little things like that which I think have made him part of the furniture um, at Leeds. And interesting as well to hear that he's never watched the, the last episode of the, the Amazon documentary. We have that in common. I haven't. I've done five of them. I can't watch well, the last one. Yeah, and I, I think probably quite a lot of fans are the same, but I know that... That there are other players at Leeds who, who haven't either and there is a kind of standing joke that at some stage if they do get promoted they'll all sit down and put themselves through it because you know what the hell does it matter by by that stage um, but safe to say that I think he took what happened in the playoffs to heart I think he found it very very difficult to to deal with and and like the whole squad I've, I've been impressed by the way he's, he's kind of wiped the slate clean after that and has played as well this season as as he was, was last season because that's the sort of thing that can really unseat somebody There's a good part in the interview referencing sort of the the recovery from from last season and and the change from before Bielsa came that he describes that we used to accept being mediocre and as a club as an, an organization mediocre was how it was but now that the players in the dressing room have this sort of inbuilt authority to sort themselves out and make sure that standards stay high and it did send me to thinking that if Bielsa does go in the summer and we haven't made it up and we're looking for what we need to do next, Liam Cooper, player manager. <laughs> Let's keep it <laughs> going because I mean, yeah. with uh, knowing the club is fa- fashionable. He's been here the longest, knows the system, knows what Bielsa wants. And if it is true that the players are, are taking a lot of that responsibility on themselves, that is one of the key differences from the years under Chilino when you were you had a bunch of players looking at each other and no leadership. Whereas now there is that, that senior group. So maybe, maybe it's a group of them. You get the senior players, you put it in Cooper and Ailing's hands and say, A committee, right, maybe. I was going to say, yeah. like a bit of cricket, you could have a selection committee <laughs> rather than a rather than manager. But we must be due a he-knows-the-club saga soon. <laughs> well, you, you, you keep mentioning Lee Bowyer as a successor, don't you, to, yeah, to Bielsa? So yeah, that's what we'll I end up... I think not, not unlikely, so we'll, we'll be able to factor that one in. I'm saying Cooper and Berardi, co-managers, the two <laughs> longest-serving players, give it them. Give it them and bring the kids in. Lee Bowyer knows the clubs. 
<laughs> well, yes. If you want to read Phil's interview, and it's a great interview as well with Liam Cooper, head to theathletic.com right now and you can subscribe with a 40% discount if you use the code LEADSPOD. And don't forget, if you fancy a little bit more in the way of football podcasting outside the world at Leeds United, there are 11 shows, including us, which you can find for free wherever you get this podcast. Right, Phil, before we head off and go to the Preston game, tell us who is your one to watch from this Christmas period. Three games that we're looking across, so kind of, uh, you've got plenty to go out. We've got Preston, Birmingham and West Brom. What are we keeping our eye on? Yes, um, I'll be quick with this one. Uh, Matthias Pereira at West Brom on New Year's Day, I thought he stood out as as the best player on the pitch for them when, when they were at Ellen Road. And the more I've watched him this season, the more I, I think he's one of the best players in the in the championship. West Brom will, will do him, so to speak, for £9 million from, from Sporting Lisbon when um, once he gets past 32 appearances, that was the, the agreement in the contract. And I think um, that, a little bit like Dan James for a, a sim, similar price, his leads very nearly agreed. I think that'll be a, an absolute steal. So keep him quiet at the Hawthorns. I think that's that's essential. But, you know, from, from a neutral point of view, he's he's... In a division where it's not loaded with quality this season, he's he's a treat to watch. Well, fingers crossed for a prosperous 2020 for Leeds United anyway. And Happy New Year to you. Thanks for listening to this. We'll be back next year. 